all good. I've got my beer, got my podcast. Who won that game? Who won that ball game? Ball game. <laughs> yeah. A classic. Yeah, we need to start it with with us saying that because I hope if people who are fans of Between the Barry to Me hear this, I wonder, like, was that a niche joke because it was on that, like, YouTube video of them recording Colors? Or is it, like, widely known because Colors has become so beloved? Like, do people know? Like, have people watched that video? I think I would, last time I looked, it still didn't actually have that many views, if I'm remembering correctly. Is that right? But I, I think so, but maybe I'm remembering incorrectly. But I think I was kind of shocked at how few people had watched it. But, you know. Um, it, it was in a very Wild West time of YouTube. That's true. That's true. Where I think, like, people just see the date on things. They're like, I'm not even going to touch that. But that recording video is like the best part of colors. It's very memeable and it got it. And it was like a lot of content from the album, like early. Yeah. That, that was like a good mo- couple months before that album dropped. And it was like, there was, there was a hefty amount of riffs that they were previewing and, and like, just, it was like a lot. It was like across the whole album, like something from every song I felt like. And a lot of the fun was then be like, oh, that's that part from the video. Well, like the uh, the one like little drum, I, I don't want to call it a solo, but it's almost this mini solo that Blake does. Um, and I remember us seeing it's it good, in it's the like video. A, it's like a halfway between a solo and a fill. Yeah, and I remember seeing it being like pretty like, whoa. And, and I remember hearing the album and not even actually recognizing where it came in until a lot later just because it was actually like, not nearly as pronounced on the album but yeah yeah Yeah, Um, white walls one yeah yeah uh but that's that's about colors one this pod our sixth episode uh almost four months after (laughs) four months after our fifth we're very consistent um but we saved it this is going to be our first pod just specifically about almost one album there'll be a bunch of things that come out of us talking about the one album but it's pretty much about one album and a new new album because i think regardless of how much i ever love or don't love a new between the buried and me album it's it's easy to talk about it for a long time mainly because there's so much stuff there's so much stuff in their music and I think this album, you know, I, I, we've listened to it, you know, it's been out for five, five days, I guess. And I've listened to it Some a change. lot. Yeah. I've listened to it a lot. Like I think, um, I mean, I was so excited about it after our like first initial listening, we kind of did together, which was very fun and cute. Um, just a couple of guys just staying up <laughs> until one thirty in the morning. Under- under the covers, you know, just listening to Colors 2 together. The best part was we were waiting all day for it, and then Midnight hits. And I'm like, okay, you ready to go? We can listen to this. And you're like, yeah. nah, give me a few minutes. I'm like, you had all fucking day to I needed to get into bed. <laughs> I, needed, I needed to be by the desktop to yeah. make sure that, because I don't know how to use Apple Music, man. Like, I, I thought maybe I'll have to, like, get it 
from the internet. So I don't know, dude, I didn't know I could do it all. If I knew I could do it all from my phone, I would have just, I would have just snuggled up like hours before, uh, earlier, man. <laughs> um, I would have oh, been in bed at like a, a nice prompt 9.30 PM. Yeah. Well, especially because the album's like an hour and a half long, it feels like. Um, I guess one thing, because it has been four months, uh, this podcast is called A Little Extreme. Uh, I'm Logan, and the other voice you hear is Alec. Hey. And yeah, we really wanted to kind of dedicate a whole pod to Colors 2 because we've had many opinions on it since it, it dropped from how much we love it to is it their best album to uh, our theories about it because we have many theories uh, somehow this, I, I feel like BT Bam always kind of comes with a whole lot of extra thought, but we wanted to kind of do this on a song by song basis. Cause there's a natural, I think jumping off point from each track, but I guess before we get into it, cause I, I do want to fanboy a little bit. I mean, the album's really, the album's fucking awesome. I think the debate for us has just been, is it their best album, which is a crazy, even talking point uh, for their ninth album, especially like Automata, you know, it had its moments, but it's kind of like, it's okay. And, you know, I, we kind of disagree on this a little bit, but like Coma Ecliptic is okay. Uh, you know, they have I like, their... I like, I like Coma Ecliptic. If that was confusing, that's because I, 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 I'm not, I'm not like, that's not even a, it's not even like a top five necessarily. I just think I like it quite a bit more than you do. Yeah. It's by far my least favorite of theirs. Um, like very easily. And, and let me, let me, let me set the record straight. Colors one is my least favorite BT Bam album. Uh, that's my most edge lordy comment of the night. I hope. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, hopefully we, I don't want this to be like, I know this sounds like it's going to be like just praising the shit out of colors two and clowning on colors one um, because that's exactly what it's going to be. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, I but, have an but... issue with the title solely because of that. <laughs> the title of the record is wrong and every, like, it doesn't make sense in a, in a lot of ways. And I feel like, think that leads a lot of our theories about it. Um, because for me, like I, you know, colors isn't my least favorite. It's in the bottom three. I think the bottom three would be, uh, coma colors and, automata even though automata has moments that i think are some of their best um i think it's the same it's the same for me i just think that order is order's different um, kind of like a little switched around but when when you're in the bottom three i think it, it's kind of like the top three and the bottom three like it's a little bit inter interchangeable like you appreciate them and don't appreciate them for kind of equally valid reasons and and yeah i i do think though coma is uh, is of a magnitude of an improvement over automata or automata however you say it and um and colors one yeah i mean i can't get with you on that but what we will say is again like the fact that even the i think the conversation around colors two for us is that it can it's in that upper echelon conversation that it's even in in talks as like this might end up being my favorite album for them is, is kind of, it's kind of crazy to me from, from title and from this point in their career. 
like just being nine albums in this album is there you know it's kind of it's it's it has the most stuff in it like it's you know all their albums are long all their albums are like 70 80 minutes but this one has the least amount of like interludes and stuff making up that 70 to 80 minutes it has like one one minute interlude song or whatever uh sfumato i don't know how to pronounce that um other than that it's their most amount of just like stuff in an album and yet simultaneously is their most uh reserved in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. in a long time and it's weird to think of really gravitating towards something from them that's more reserved but it just the reasons it's so good are not the reasons i expected to really like a new album from them um i thought this was going to be you know in all their interviews leading up and even i remember blake did an interview in like january with some like uh podcast that uh i think it was naveen copperweiss i was just gonna say the animosity drummer crabs uh podcast yeah like back in january and him just being like oh man the album it's a lot it's a lot dude like there's it's a lot Mm -hmm. and i thought what that meant and i think this is what probably you thought too was you know they they do have a the band has a tendency to go uh to not have any filters on being self-indulgent and that can lead to a lot of great things but it can also lead to some things where you're kind of like what the fuck was that and Mm -hmm. i thought when they said this album's a lot that it meant those sections would be a lot like really prominent on this album but i think what they meant yeah yeah, sorry go ahead well i was just gonna say like the fear the big fear uh is, is like the the absolute nadir for me about bt bam was voice of trespass yes uh, like like that song yeah was encapsulated kind of everything i i kind of have a problem with bt bam and and we should clarify like we are you and i are huge bt bam fans that go way back yeah like they are i think we we have no problem saying they are one of if not you know occasionally our favorite band they're really important for us in terms of well, our our personal relationship but also um exposure to like a whole world of music totally. i would say i would lay at their feet in terms of you know that that gateway um so so you know, when I, when I, when we say this, isn't like, yeah, yeah. You know, that band between the buried and me, they're pretty good. Like, no, this is like coming from a, a, a deep obsession and fascination with the career of this band for going on now. Oh, like 17, eight, 17 ish years for us, I guess. Like, I think we discovered them around the same time, like around. Yeah. I think last, you were yeah, in, you were the, in the mid between sign, but yeah. It's like basically before, right, right before Alaska, I think. Yeah. Um, or around around then, and yeah. So, um, I think that uh, the the stakes of what between the buried and me are for us has kind of waxed and waned. Like, what oh, what are what are they becoming? You know, there was this there was this always this. Uh, kind of constant question of what what is bt bam going to become when are they when is when is the other shoe going to drop and they're going to become like every other band that achieves a level of success that kind of compromises the ethos of their music and now we kind of just have to like tolerate that 
oh yeah, their best albums were behind them. And now they release this trash for whatever reason. It just seems to happen across the board yeah. for most bands. And I think if anything, the, the craziest, is it even crazy? Just the most note, noteworthy thing about Colors 2 for me at this point is like, I, I've decided I'm going to put away that what are they becoming thing because they've kind of proven time and time again, there'll be a dip and, 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 and they'll kind of be in a headspace that we're not necessarily going to appreciate like, like voice of trespass era. I was, you know, I was talking about, but they, they'll just, they'll come back and it's happened before it happened with parallax. I don't think, you know, that parallax came after a sort of general apathy on our part towards that it developed for like colors and to a lesser extent, great misdirect their, mm-hmm. their album that came after colors are kind of like, okay, I guess they're, this band now i guess as as we said their best times were behind them then they come out with the parallax which just just destroyed everything that had come before and it you know yeah, it's like happened parallax again. is my favorite like album ever which is crazy mm-hmm. is their sixth album and i think like you said like it btbm is one of these weird bands where so when colors first came out i thought it was incredible and as time has gone on it's really like for whatever reason i don't know what it is about it specifically but it's just lost stuff for me over time like i don't know if there's something a bit gimmicky about it that i don't like or i i don't know there's there's something about it over time it's it just has you know i feel like it's like when you see like sports like leaderboards or or power rankings when like things kind of just like drop down it's like drop down those rankings over time mm-hmm. and and then great misdirect has kind of had the opposite thing like when i first came out I, I wasn't crazy about it and then over time it's actually grown on me like every time i listen to it i'm like man this this is a lot better than than i realized and maybe it's like a, a notion of taste changing like as you get older you stop caring about certain things and you start liking things that are just more purely enjoyable but like you said like parallax being their sixth album after those is by far my favorite and again the fact that colors 2 is something i can actually have an internal debate about like is do i like this more than parallax i i i mean i don't know yet parallax says i've lived with it way longer so it has just the benefit of time but it, it's legitimately possible colors 2 will be in that conversation um, and could be like my favorite album of theirs and thus like one of my favorite albums ever if, you know, if I kind of live with it longer. I'll say it has more in it than Parallax. Like that's kind of what I was getting to before. Like it's, there's a lot um, and just a, a lot in terms of, it, it's not overwhelming from a like, uh, they don't do crazy gimmicky stuff on the level that I was expecting. It's just, there's a lot to take in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I'm, I'm still a little bit split as to, I just, I, you know, I feel like there's a density to parallax uh, one and two specifically two, that I don't feel as much, uh, as in colors too. Yeah. Uh, like color colors two has the length and it has, you know, arguably a kind of a broader feeling of scope. Uh, but parallax two has this, kind of complete density of um, of like constantly shifting busy material. Colors 2 operates a lot more in the pocket. 
um, it's way more comfortable to settle into a groove for a lot longer and, and not feel the need to change it up so erratically. Um, I mean, it's, it's less tech. Last... It's less like flashy mm. tech than parallax, mm. right? Like parallax has, cause I was listening to it again today and I, and I messaged you like, man, I forgot how like there are those like BTBMs always, we, we talked about this ages ago. There's like, there are few albums where like more notes are played than like BTBM albums. Like they just have those riffs where they like scale all across the fretboard, like constantly. And mm-hmm. they've always done that. Like Son of Nothing, you know, even though we were kind of disparaging colors a bit, Son of Nothing is a really good example of that. Like the kind of main riff of that has this, like, you know, I'm exaggerating here, but it has like a hundred notes as part of like the riff, you know, it feels that way. And Parallax, Astral Body, certain riffs in Layer Ghost to Rest and Extremophile Elite have these like riffs that just, these single picking riffs that go all over the place. And this album doesn't have that. Like that's very... Other than like Revolution and Limbo, uh, it largely isn't an album of that. It's mm-hmm. it's it's these chunky riffs, which are almost. Uh, and this leads us in very nicely into theory number one about this album, <laughs> but it's almost calling back as like this fully realized version of like their self-titled, which is crazy. Like their self-titled was very hardcore. And this has a lot of those hardcore influenced riffs. Now they're done in like a more technical and there are more time signature changes and more uh, switch ups throughout the riffs to kind of keep you on your toes. But it has that like, like you're saying in that pocket of these like chunky groovy riffs where like you kind of make the stank face and you're bobbing your head. It has a lot of that. Um, And that leads theory number one, which we've talked about that, we think there's a chance that this started out as a new BT Bam self-titled album at some point yeah. along the writing process. I, I do, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pretend like th- there is a colors, into, you know, people call it Easter eggs. I think calling them Easter eggs, I would hope that the band doesn't consider them Easter eggs because to me that would kind of cheapen the, the integrity of the of the writing you know like you you don't want to have a song and just throw in a riff just because it was in colors of wine you know you want to call it a reprise or or bring it back for a purpose and it, and it sounds like it is so i think you know if the band is using the term oh there's colors easter eggs um i i, I don't I, I i don't believe i i think that's just them i think that's a form of kind of being humble about it i i think there is a lot more intention than than that word would imply but yeah, like I think it became a colors too. However, I think the DNA of it, the original intention, I just have this sneaky suspicion that, you know, they're talking about, we need to redefine ourselves. We need to kind of make the new baseline standard for what between the bear and me is. Um, I think it was going to be a new self-titled and whether it was other forces that were kind of pushing, I was like, why don't you call it colors too? Because that's like the <laughs> one that everyone, that's the one everyone shits over. Um, but, you know, even like maybe again, this is reaching, but I guess we'll get to this, uh, as we do our song by song, but the, uh, the end of the, the second track, the, the double helix of extinction, he's shouting between the buried and me, between the buried and me, it feels like a very, um, you know, it's obviously on the nose Yeah, you know, saying the band name in your song, but it, 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 there felt like there was an intention there with, 
this this new self-titled mentality as opposed to a purely colors to mentality yeah i agree and i feel like when we first listened to it we kind of made the joke like they should have called this colors two colon parallax three um, <laughs> yeah and that was that was really a joke about especially stuff kind of in the middle of the album um i really felt like elements of uh future shock were very parallax and then funnily enough to go off of kind of this theory when I was listening today, I actually heard a lot more kind of like great misdirect kind of riffing and ideas throughout the whole album that I hadn't really noticed before. So I think that really supports the idea of a new self-titled where it becomes all encompassing of, you know, they're bringing in all these things they've kind of done into one album. But then interestingly, I think this is a good place to jump into the song by song. And I'm going to, kind of pair up the first two songs just because mm-hmm. they do feed into each other much like colors um i mean i want to say the opener on this monochrome is like probably their best opener um in terms of i think the melodies the melodies throughout all of this are their most mature and developed and interesting uh it's a lot more I think you've used the word like it's a bit, it's a lot more melancholy than normal. It's not these like it, it verges on sad melodies more than happy melodies, which are just inherently more interesting. Um, and I think the first song is a great example of that. Tommy, like, I think this is Tommy's best album in terms of vocals yeah, and melodies. Without, yeah. And yeah. And between that and the keys that him and Dan kind of play this album, their best keys album so tommy from a tommy standpoint just like killing it but the the opener of these two songs so i when we first started listening and it switches from monochrome into double helix of extinction i started i did get a little bit concerned that first listen through i'm not anymore but the first Mm -hmm. listen because i'm like oh they call this colors too and this second song is the exact same riff of decade of statues put through some like, like weird, like parallel universe style approach. Like it's the same riff slightly fucked with. And then it gets into another riff. That's the same second riff from decade of statues slightly, slightly fucked with. And they do that for a little bit. And then it starts to become its own thing. Mm -hmm. And it felt really like this is my other theory. One of the other many theories about this album that, the only, I think the only way I can support it being called like colors too, other than, you know, there are obviously reprisals throughout is just that it's this, it's colors put through this like wormhole almost like, mm. I know there's no, Tommy said there's no vocal, like, or there's no lyrical theme throughout this whole one. Like they've done in the past. Cause he didn't like, he was, he was more doing it on a song by song basis. And I, I believe that to a certain extent. And I just feel like if you're to think of the character from colors one getting sucked into like a wormhole or something, right. Mm-hmm. Like goes into, I can't remember the exact narrative of colors one, but what he's like, he's up in space at some point, isn't he? And then I, I could not tell you, I don't know any, what anything in colors one means was about. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's like colors it's decade of statues, the second song put through this weird parallel universe, like wormhole. 
and the whole album almost feels like that a little bit to me in one way where it's like what if we thought of that whole album in this but like done in like a parallel universe um and Mm. i don't know why i feel like that's like a legitimate theory other than those riffs at the beginning of double helix being the same riffs and yet also extremely like also very different in the way they're presented if that makes any sense it, ma- it makes sense i think i see the connection uh to the the foam born songs in these opening two songs I, I feel it a little less than you do possibly like i see them as a bit more uh their own thing and less explicitly the colors two version of foam born uh I- i'll acknowledge like that opening uh, riff and double helix you know with oh, the, the pinch four harmonic, pinch harmonics yeah exactly pinch harmonic stuff like that's I, I think that does call attention i think i think it invites you to remember that feeling you had when you first listened to colors and i i, I would i would agree with that that they're kind of um playing on nostalgia in not a super tacky way i think it's i think it's a, actually a pretty smart deployment of nostalgia there because but at the same time, I'm like, a death metal song is kind of a death metal song. Like, it just happens to, like, they could have put the Double Helix in another album, sort of isolated and contained. And I don't think we would have necessarily been like, oh, that's just Decade of Statues. Um, it's just It just so happens that it's the second song on an album called Colors 2 that we invite that comparison a lot more. But I, I do think there's actually a lot more going on and a lot more discrete elements uh, about the song than that than those two uh, I think like they feel actually like really different and I think after those two singles that was my first clue on our on our initial playthrough where I was like I think yeah I have a good feeling about this I think I think they're really going they're gonna go into some into an interesting place with this or at least a lot more than I expected they would yeah, and that's kind of, funnily enough, like the next two songs in a row on the album. Um, I mean, I will say, I think, you know, I, I think it was halfway through Double Helix of Extinction where I started getting less worried about it being like quite literally Colors 2 because where, like yes. you said, where the song goes, I was like, oh, this is a lot more interesting and 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 the riffs and, I and yeah, technical kind of death metal ideas in that track are a lot more hit a lot harder than kind of where decade of statues goes. I think, I think it really hit me when specifically the moment when there's this um, kind of like uh, base moment. Um, I, I don't even know how you describe it, but it's a very, it's kind of like this arpeggiated base sort of odd, odd metered bass riff. And then these clean guitars are kind of doing these little touches on top of it. Yeah. And it just felt really legit. It felt like a really legit kind of stab at that kind of um, almost like scronk, like almost like that kind of disturbing um, metal, like you'd hear in yeah. something like Bearing, Bearing Teeth, uh, which, which even though BT Bam can get pretty brutal, uh, something to respect about them is that even on the albums that I don't think we're as big a fan of, those albums still have, you know, incredibly brutal uh, sections that that kind of don't allow you to say, "Oh, well, this band just, you know, they're they're just they're just focusing on 
radio hits now or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, you couldn't, you wouldn't be able to argue that even on the on the weaker records, they still have those. But uh, yeah, like that 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 section just felt really kind of legit, really legit. And we're we're doing a we're doing a scary album. Yeah, and I mean the other thing. So the other thing we've talked about in terms of this album being. I guess legit or more purposeful is there's that like kind of slammy heavy riff in mm-hmm. double helix where Blake brings in that kind of that, like that extra snare drum that almost has that like reggaeton feel. It sounds really funny yeah. to like use that term within this, but it's, that's kind of the difference here and where I think our fears started getting a little bit, um, started shrinking a little bit where we heard that slam and we're like, Oh, is that how they're going to incorporate? Like they're going to incorporate other ideas and other genres a lot more naturally. And as a part of what they're doing, instead of they've had this habit in the past where it's like, you know, crazy, brutal tech death. And then that section stops and then they do a like hoe down. And you're like, yeah. Yeah, And you're like, and you're like, wait, like, that doesn't, it just feels like you wanted to do this section. It didn't feel like a natural part of the song other than like, it's in the same key Um, here. This album, a lot of the time, you know, those parts are still there here and there, but they really serve purpose and feel like a natural part of everything and actually help move things along. Like even I'm going to jump ahead very slightly, but then we'll come back. Even in never seen future shock, they have that little like flute section after all the brutal stuff at the beginning, but then the way it pushes things forward coming out of that, you're like, Oh, this actually like makes a lot of sense. Um, And and the, that drum, it's such a small thing, but that kind of extra little like snare drum brought into double helix of extinction felt very natural. And like they were bringing those influences in instead of just like, Oh, let's do a reggaeton part now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like no, it, it was kind of natural. Well, ants of the sky never to to me. This is subjective, you know. To me, as a listener, never. And I'm doing air quotes here. Asked for a hoedown part. It never, it, yeah. It, it never necessitated a hoedown part. I, I realized that the hoedown part was was playing the theme, the the light motif or whatever of the song. I I. I I acknowledge that it wasn't like a non, it wasn't a completely disconnected melodic idea, but, but there's nothing except for the band and their, whatever their intentions were. Uh, but there's nothing for me as a listener to, to feel that that was like necessary other than like novelty. Yeah. And, and to, and to make you kind of like the, um, like the barbershop fill and, and all bodies on Alaska, except that lasted two seconds and it gave you this little jolt of unexpectedness and it kind of aided that song's manic feeling, but you know, they just committed to a hoedown on ants of the sky uh, for, for a, like a solid portion of the song. I don't know if it was like 30 seconds for anyway, whatever, but it just felt, it felt significant. Um, but no one was asking for it necessarily, but I feel like the structure of that slam, how it was written and the rhythmic approach they took, it felt like it was asking weirdly enough, yeah. it was asking for a reggaeton feel yeah, because it slotted in so, so well. And this just, this is just the, the, 
the, the, a good comparison because this is just the difference of approach that matters when it comes to comparing both albums, you know, uh, that these so-called novelty sections, these novelty ideas feel much more integrated and necessary than they were 14 years ago. Yeah, which you would hope comes with just like, you know, time of of kind of learning. And I mean, they're extremely talented musicians who've gotten better with with time. So you'd hope that that's kind of like a natural part of that. But it is funny, um, <laughs> you know, all the reviews we saw the couple of days leading up to this coming out, you know, there were positive reviews, but it was interesting to see kind of the comparison was always colors. And, and obviously it's called colors too. It, that's part of the process, but it's so funny because people are like, yeah, you know, it's good, but it's, I don't know if it really uh, lives up to its predecessor. And it's so funny because like you and me feel kind of the complete opposite. Like this album's so much better yeah. <laughs> than colors. It's so funny. Like I get it's named that. So the comparison is naturally there, but if, if it had just been named something else, you know, you're hearing the way we're talking about it already. If it had been just named something else, I think it would almost even be received even more positively. Although I think overall, everything I've seen other than like one seven out of 10 has been very positive. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, going into the kind of the next kind of two tracks, they're very different, but they release us the two singles and they do blend into each other. But uh, Revolution and Limbo, I kind of mentioned it before as the one song that has kind of that all over the fretboard style riffing uh the main riff i think super sick i actually think it's the song that's actually the song when i've listened to this has like aged the best only because the first time we listened to it i'm like i've already heard this as a single i want to get on to stuff i haven't heard before but mm. that song to me uh is really cool i mean it, funnily enough from what we just talked about it has the biggest like departure section where they incorporate it's like that <laughs> you've kind of called it dark jazz which i really like <laughs> but it has like the biggest one of those sections it lasts i think for like two minutes um, it's like a very um kind of like from dusk till dawn kind of like sort of like texas style yeah, yeah. you know dark uh what do, you, what do you call that it's not it's obviously not country but it's like that that kind of yeah kind of kind of like shady cowboy kind of feeling. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and, and by the way that, you know, to, to further uh, justify that reggaeton presence in, in track two, uh, um, that, that comes back in this part, the, uh, the rhythmic pattern has that similar quality, that kind of yeah. reggaeton feel to it. So it, it, it even feels more locked into the overall construction of the album, uh, which again helps. Uh, well, Revolution and Limbo, to, to me, is still the weakest uh, moment on the record, but by no means, you know, the weakest moment on this record is still uh, incredibly strong and just goes to show you how good the overall album is. Uh, but yeah, if you have to pick a kind of a uh, quote unquote low point, it would be this one for me. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, it would be there's kind of the like three song prog thing all in a row later on in the album and i'm like yeah. i love like 95 percent of it i'm like but i don't know if i needed like a like a triumvirate of it um mm -hmm. and then i think revolution limbo it has a, it's pretty like 
it's such a distinct kind of structure that it doesn't need to be talked about too much. And then fi- fix the air is the complete opposite. I, this was still so funny as a first single, uh, cause God, it's, yeah. it's, what a it's, weird, it's what one a of the most manic single. tracks on the album. It's a lot happens in, you know, it's five minutes, which is, uh, quite short for a BT Bam song that has like actual, like full on song. It has like the most amount of genre and idea switches I've heard. Uh, it has the, the three drum solo section with uh, Blake, Mike Portnoy, and uh, who's the Kandiria drummer? Who's the Kenneth Shalk? Yeah, Kenneth like, Shulk. yeah, like, and 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 Naveen Copperwise too. Yeah, like what a what an uh, insane first single. I mean, it's it it works really well in the context of the album. It's such a funny like transition from that first kind of three into one of the the big boy songs uh but i mean fix air i think i like it a lot more on the album than even like i i didn't mind it the first time i heard it as a single but i thought it was like completely nuts and over the top and i was like the, when i heard that that was when i was like oh that's what blake was talking about in that interview when he said it's a lot i'm like the if the whole album's like this this frenetic and constant it's going to be incredibly overwhelming the album is it's the album is a lot, but it's not a lot in the way that song is. That song has the, is the most dense, I would say. Oh, really? I mean, I, I mean, I, I think d- dense with energy. I can see. I think there's like riffier and more, you know, notier moments specifically in that. You know, we're talking about that trilogy that's coming up. That's kind of the. That's like the big centerpiece for me, but. Yeah, I can I can see what you're saying. Like it's the densest in terms of of energy. I think. Yeah, like, yeah. And that and that that um, kind of dangerous energy to it. Like it's not even that brutal. It's just, and and I, I don't necessarily want to call it punk, even though that that uh, that riff at the beginning is a pretty solid hardcore riff, and I, I really loved um, Blake's deep. His he's his D beats are just always so good. Yeah, they are he always mixes it up. He always adds a little kind of extra element to them. You know, you should just get a collect, just do a super cut of all his, uh, his DB, like the one in swim to the moon. And um, like, uh, what's that specular reflection? Like so many good, like creative interpretations of it. And this is, this is a yet another one to add to it. Uh, yeah. I mean, we kind of talked about Tommy and I think, we appreciate everyone's performance on this Blake, like always just like there are sections that bl- like bl- blow my mind in terms of like idea. It's not even just like his execution of them. He always like plays things like he, he has that great balance of he's super tight in tech, but also always has feel, but it's just the ideas. It's mm-hmm. the ideas that he's like, Oh, I'm going to try this here. And I don't know. It's always just, I mean, the, the drum thing we we're talking about in double helix is one of them, but yeah, he just, he does things rhythmically. And I think fix the air is a great example of it where it's so balls to the wall, especially drum wise. Cause it's so constant. Um, yeah. Since you're, since you're talking about Blake, I'd, I'd, I'd be down to camp out on some Blake stuff. Um, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Like, like you said, it's, it's his, it's, he's, he's a writer kind of first like obviously he's like incredibly technically proficient but i think a lot of the the joy of listening to blake's drum performances are like less like look at how inhuman this is because he's not a very like 
he's not a very flashy drummer when it comes to like a lot of the things that you'd value in like uh, like a, another death metal band like like the uh, the rhythms are well, like BT Bam is obviously known for really complex rhythm rhythmic stuff but like it's not like it's necessarily car bomb where it's mind melting sort of in inhuman feeling and 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 the 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 enjoyment of that rhythmic performance and car bomb is like look at how impossible this is yeah. um but like and he's you know he's not like crazy fast um like it's, it's not like that double bass is just blazing away like a lot of brutal death metal bands or tech death bands but it, it's 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 how his patterns are written as these very like elaborate swiss watches you know i, I was looking at the uh, the drum tabs for specular reflection so 10 years ago you know a song that came out 10 years ago and it's it's that, that kind of like tool part <laughs> you know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah in the middle yeah. of that song um there it's just so intelligently designed you know it's it, yeah it's it, he, he's he's just a very like he's, he's a writerly drummer if that makes any sense whatsoever well, it does. I was when I was listening to uh, Parallax today as well, uh, and I mean, I think it's the the single BT Bam moment that gets me the most excited and fired up every single time I listen to it is the beginning of Layer Goes to Rest, and mm-hmm. it's, I mean, the rhythm itself, guitar wise, is is super cool, but for whatever reason, the drums, like BT Bam is a great air guitar band. But they're also like they're like the best air drum band to me mm-hmm. because because of Blake's writing like it's so fun, and the his drumming at the beginning of that song it's it's not the most complex necessarily although where he decides to put like snare ghost notes and stuff always is what I makes me chuckle because yeah. that's what yeah. makes it sound so impossible. Um, but it says rhythm at the beginning of that song and and it's nothing even that like you're saying it's nothing it's not the craziest rhythm I've ever heard or anything like that, but how he's, how he's assembled it from uh, a snare and ghost note perspective implemented into this, like just dank rhythm. I mean, use the word dank. Mm -hmm. I hope a lot more for the rest of this, but BT Bam, I think coined dank as we use it to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. They have a lot of, they have a lot of dank parts and what a perfect segue. Well, Uh, well, sorry, let me, I'm just, I wanted to ask you something actually. Okay. About, about the drumming. Um, so I find that BT Bam kind of does a, like they take a bit of a King Crimson approach to uh, time changes where they really want to let you know that they, that we're in a new meter. So it's like everything just kind of stops and resets. Yep. And for someone who's just kind of grown up and has been spoiled on like a lot of groove stuff and a lot of Meshuggah stuff where they're like, yeah, we're going to change the meter, but you're not necessarily going to be super aware of when it happened because we're incorporating it in this, in this, in this persistent Bob, this persistent four, four kind of feel Um, like BT Bam, 
obviously they have their groovy moments. They can be very, very groovy, but they do this very like jarring kind of, okay, we're in this new rhythm and, and you can hear, you can hear Blake kind of like reset it with like a snare or like, and, and symbols like, you know, and, and it just like lets you know, like, okay, we're in this. And I don't know, like, how do you, I find that can sometimes <laughs> kind of like, that's the only, that's the only approach that I have a quibble with about BT BAM um in general and, and it's not like they can't do it because you blake's done you know it's like moment on proverbial bellow where he does this like very meshuggah-esque kind of four four polymeter type and, and disease injury madness there's a, there's a really good one there too so we know that he can do it so it's obviously like this intentional choice to kind of really get you out of the groove and kind of reset you onto this new meter like how do you yeah. what, how do you feel about that well yeah it's funny i I noticed, well, the first time we listened to this, I remember there was a part and that it might've been during double helix of extinction. It's possible. It was during, uh, the next song we're going to talk about never seen future shock where we were kind of saying like, man, I can't even figure out where the beginning and end of some of these riffs are. Mm -hmm. And so I almost attribute so much of what you're saying about the drums as just like, I think it's just the way the guitars are like written. That it serves the riff. It serves the, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, if you think of Blake as like a writer's, like a writer's drummer, that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it just like serves, it serves the riff because, and we've, we have the infamous, I mean, infamous amongst we have these infamous things amongst two people um, <laughs> where, you know, we've tried to count the, that one section in extreme elite. And there are some sections on here. We've already messaged back and forth about like, do you think this is in 1516 or do you think this is, you know, a couple oh, yeah. Is, is, is future is a future shock. Like, is that, is it all in seven, seven or do they, do they do a, a six, sorry, seven, seven. Is it all in seven, four? Or do they do a, uh, do they go into a six there? And so it's like a 13 in that part. Is that like, I can't tell. Yeah. And I think like there's something to be said for letting the listener know a little bit what's going on. So I, I've always like almost appreciated that a little bit from Blake. Cause during those kind of sections where these time switches and stuff are happening, like I'm wanting to kind of like fucking, I'm kind of wanting to like groove and, and headbang or air drum or whatever along to this a little bit. It's nice to like be kind of let in a little bit because their rhythmic ideas and time switches can get actually very technical. Um, we're aware of them, I think, just because like we've listened to BTBM long enough. And I think most people who have listened to BTBM long enough are like a little bit in on it at this point about yeah. like what's going on. But if you're just like a prog person or like you're just like a metal fan and you like happen across this album and you're like, oh man, this is crazy. Wait, like where am I in this riff? Those little like snare hits and like quick stops like kind of ground you a little bit. So I've never had an issue with them, but I can understand how you're saying like it can feel a little bit almost lazy just because it's like almost a little bit of a cop out. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I'm I'm split because I sometimes I'm like oh if only if only if only this could turn into a car bomb part no, not really but it, it just yeah it, it feels kind of like oh we couldn't be bothered to incorporate this into the groove that would be harder to do like you're saying kind of thing but yeah I, I 
I don't, I don't, I, when I take a step back, I, I don't think that's the case because it, it feels intentional. It feels, if, and, and I, and, and it's something different that's offered because so many bands are doing the groove thing um, to have a band that's kind of like, no, we're going to kind of, we're going to like shake you up a bit, like the way that yeah. King Crimson did. Um, that's kind of like a nice, a nice change of pace just to like, not try and hide the fact that you're in an odd meter. It's like, let's work in the odd meter. Let's have an, let's devote our time to this odd meter and not try to kind of, you know, plug it into a four, four feel all the time. Like that, that offers something different uh, in general that a lot of bands don't do. So I'm here for it ultimately, but yeah, I think we're on the same page. Yeah. And, uh, you know, gave me a little bit of, uh, I'm going to use the term, give me a little bit of blue balls. Cause I said this a couple minutes ago, Oh, it's a perfect segue into, yeah. but I think we're no. still in a perfect segue. We're still in that perfect segue zone because the first riff of never seen future shock. Oh man. This shit gets me fired up. This is like, this is the lay your ghosts to rest level mm-hmm. of getting me fired up. And when I listen to the actual riff, it's funny because I hear it like objectively. And I'm like, this is very like, if you listen to just the riff and don't even think about the time signature part, because that's where things start to get really fun. I'm like, man, so much of this is almost just like a new metal like alt metal kind of riff. <laughs> or like, actually, or really, like, yeah. yeah, or like, or like a, or like a, uh, like heavy hardcore band kind of riff, right? It's the and I'm like, this is so like, what? What? That's kind of like not something cool, quote unquote. And then you add in like the way they do it rhythmically, and then the drums, um, and it's just like it's dank, it's dank as hell, and it gives me that same. This is where I start to feel like, oh, are we getting a little bit of like parallax on this? Because it has that feel of layer ghost to rest to it. Um, but I, I, it's interesting as, as you know, the, I guess the last week's kind of gone on this for me is still, I think the standout track just because it, I don't know, it gets me fired up. It's got crazy ideas when it comes to the heavy shit. It has that, like you've called it like the Candiria um, section did, did- of, of slam riffing. It's got it's got to be Candira. I mean, we've already got Ken and Schalk on the record, and you know Blake has talked about Candiria in like I don't know since since I, we started listening to them, like since Alaska. Anytime he's commented on anything, you know, he's mentioned he's definitely mentioned Candiria, Ken Schalk before. Uh, so we know that BT Bam appreciates them, and there's no way that this is not like an overt. Uh, like shout out to Candiria, like that whole section um, with that like New York hardcore style kind of halftime stomp part. Yeah. And then, and then like slowing the tempo down like that and going into this, like um, it, it's straight up Candiria. It's, and I love also, it makes it clear how similar Tommy and 
Carly Coma kind of sound. It's <laughs> like, like they, they have a very similar approach to heavy, like brutal vocals uh, that I really like. Yeah. And, and I so, mean, this as a compliment, it's that Tommy is, has never been particularly like good or natural at them, but it makes it awesome. And I know that sounds almost insulting at first, but I genuinely mean it like, cause he has to kind of almost feel, sounds like he's straining to make it work. It actually makes it more brutal to me that he doesn't have this low booming voice. He has this kind of like thing to it. And it sounds way more awesome. He he's very slimy. And again, <laughs> that that's a compliment. That's a he has a very slimy. I, is it only you and me that call it this? That slimy stuff. It's like, <laughs> it's how do you describe like black metal vocals, where where like, like let me put it this way: like people like to trash that Cryptopsy album that Lord Worm returned for. Yeah. Uh, once was was it once was not. <laughs> I, think so, I think so right yeah people trash that and they're like why the fuck did they let this dude back in the band like listen to how he sounds i'm like i, I kind of love it because it just sounds really slimy it sounds really demented and fucking um like there's there there's parts in death spell omega songs where he just sounds like he's sort of undergoing like an exorcism <laughs> obviously that really suits, death, suits spells, um, yeah. death spell dude i would 100 take that like slimy ass like evil kind of gurgle shit over any generic like so-called good deathcore vocals any fucking day of the week like and and tommy's like really like it just sounds like um and again i don't think this is intentional i don't i i would be shocked if tommy was necessarily like i'm going to you know exactly try to be kind of dark and demented sounding like this. I think I think it's just his natural register where he's comfortable because you hear him kind of force it on silent on silent circus. Yeah. You hear him trying to force that like brutal uh that more standard brutal style. And then by the time Alaska comes he's like, "No, nah, I'm going to do this now." And he's pretty much never changed since Alaska. Um and it, it's it's awesome. Yeah, and, and like we were saying Carly Coma from Candiria does that similar too like just this very kind of bestial, <laughs> the bestiality. I like, I like, I like slimy. slimy. I like slimy the most. Slimy. I, I'm just, I just like worried that it's not, I, I feel like it makes sense to you and I, but to anyone else, slimy wouldn't make sense. Do you think it would? Do you think like that reads? I think so. I think people get like, it has this kind of, um, <laughs> the scumbag quality to it. It's like this just, slimy, it's like this. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, so it's an interesting comparison. So you were saying the like, uh, you know, that album two weeks ago came out, that band Burial in the Sky. Yeah. That album's awesome. Uh, the Musically, it's sick. And we were like, man, if the next BT Bam album was this, we'd be pretty happy. But the thing about that album is the vocals are just, it's this guy with a really low, like, bellow the whole time. And you're like, he's got a good, he's got a good singing voice. Yeah. But, but, but the like heavy the, folks yeah. part, you're like, yeah. not really... There's nothing Not feeling about it. Like, I think Tommy has, you could, if someone played you something with Tommy's vocals, you'd be able to tell it was Tommy. Like he's very distinct and unique. Um, and I think that's, it's really cool. Even though it like, isn't quote unquote necessarily right all the time. Like if that makes any sense. And again, I mean that as like kind of a, as a big compliment. 
No, same. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything about Tommy, Tommy's delivery across any album. I think it's just been consistently like perfect for like, when I heard it, like Alaska, when I first heard Alaska, I was like, this is weird. Wow, Alaska. It just had the, it just had the W in front of it. That's the only thing I would change about Tommy's delivery actually is adding W's to his, um, to his A -A vowel. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he does that anymore. At least it hasn't popped out to me. No. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, for real. Like just uh just one of the best vocalists out there. Uh still going, still sound. And this is I think this is his best one yet. I, I agree. I think Tommy, yeah, we kind of said this before. We clown across, on him, across but, yeah. the across the board from like the vo- like the heavy vocals to like actually the singing like straight up clean singing in the melodies uh i i know he's gotten to like he's gotten more and more into doing like giles like his solo stuff and everything maybe that's had like a big influence but his performance on this across the board is like every every time he does like a clean vocal melody on this is like like a 10 out of 10 which wasn't always the case before like there would be times you're like yeah that's not the greatest hook this throughout i'm like that hook's amazing yeah oh yeah like he's um like look the difference between and this will be coming up but look at it well maybe i'll save it for actually when we get to that moment so put a pin in that never mind we'll move on (laughs) well okay the one two quick points before we move on to staring to the abyss one is we were talking about vocals wanted to shout out actually blake's vocals on fix the error his vocals are pretty cool no no dog it was it was a revolution limbo i think right no it was fix the error I'm sticking with uh, fix the air. I'm sticking because he yells the whole thing about like uh, if you see the rainbow, there's there's no tomorrow. That's Blake. Nah, dog, that that's Tommy. But Blake is in Revolution and Limbo when he does the kind of the, mm. the more like he does the like the I don't know what you'd call him, kind of the the growls, kind of the lower growls. Uh, man, did I? Did I really screw up the thing? But I just remember hearing his. Maybe I screwed up the song that he was on. Maybe I haven't listened to this enough. I swear you know, it was like that, like that that kind of chuggy riff at the end of Revolution at Limbo, and there's like these vocals are going. Rah, 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 rah. Yeah, I'm but I just that's Blake. That's Blake. Oh, all right. I thought, man, that's one, so weird. One of us is right. One of us will. One <laughs> of us will got it. It could be Fix the Air. It could be Revolution. It's a long album, everybody. Like, yeah, there's a, a lot. Break. It's it's eighty minutes for Chris. There, there's a lot. Um, the last point I wanted to make is when we finished Fix the Air and we had gotten kind of this consistent, like I don't know, tech and a lot of like dankness to that point, and we saw that the next song was like ten minutes long. I remember saying, "Well, here's where we're gonna get the like." eight minutes of self-indulgence that we were concerned about in terms of it being like a giant kind of over the top thing. And that does not happen in never seen future shock. It's basically dank the whole way through. Does it not feel its length at all? No, it doesn't. Um, And then jumping in, that's the last kind of point about never seen future shock. Again, I will say it's, I think one of my favorite like BT band tracks probably ever. Um, And then we get into stare into the abyss, which is where, I think you start to really see like, again, really interesting, uh, like Tommy vocal performance. Yeah. Another, another Tommy showcase there for sure. If you, if you weren't aware at this point, like, Oh, Tommy's just fucking firing on all cylinders on this one. Like you would know it when you hear that song. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I'd say Staring the Abyss doesn't have like a ton to it. It's it's a bit of a transition track. It's not fully an interlude. I, I like the structure of it where it is uh, very strongly melodic and then it kind of ends with something more, uh, I don't know, dank. <laughs> I mean, I keep saying dank or brutal now, but um, yeah. where it kind of Staring at the Abyss kind of ends. And it kind of feels like, you know, the, the album's 12 tracks. This is the sixth track. And it does, the end of that song does feel like kind of, okay, first half of this album's over. Yeah, which, we're inside B now, yeah. We're inside B, which makes a lot of sense because the next three songs in a row is where, you know, if you think of first the first half as being purely kind of darker, heavier, kind of dank stuff, this second half is where, and don't get me wrong, the prog stuff has lots of dank. I'm not saying it doesn't. It's mm-hmm. It's got dank. I'm just saying starting at track seven with prehistory is where we get into what you'd call the kind of prog half. Get into Alec country. Yeah. You're getting into the stuff, Alec. And don't you, I, this, the prog stuff, I, I really love their approach to it here. It feels really genuine versus again, this is one of those things in albums past where it felt like there was almost like we're prog because we have random parts that happen and Mm -hmm. random genres that show up. Therefore we're progressive. And it's like, no, you hear these first few tracks and, you know, the, I don't even know who the band comparisons are. You'd be better at this than me, but I just, the rhythmic ideas and the kind of instrumentation they're bringing with like how they have keys playing alongside the kind of really funky bass and the guitars. Also the guitar, the guitar tone during this prog stuff. Hmm. Tasty. Oh, very tasty. Yeah. If um, I hear a lot of early Genesis kind of more explicit than I've ever heard in BT BAM, like we've, you know, we often hear a King Crimson um, style lick a lot, actually. You could argue that they actually kind of abuse that. I don't, I, anytime I hear it, I actually quite like it. I, I won't begrudge them to continue using that kind of seven, four, again and again, again, I'm totally cool with that. Keep on fucking going. Um, but yeah, this, this is cool. Cause I, you know, it's no, it's no shock to me that they would be gen, you know, early Genesis fans. Uh, but to hear it this overt for the first time is, is nice. Um, I mean, it, it opens up a whole, you know, a bit of a can of worms because I'm like Genesis and the prog rock of the, of the seventies in general it was an approximation at taking modern classical, just classical music in general, but let's say modern classical and, and using it to um, advance rock and roll music in a specific direction. Whereas when BT Bam does this in prehistory, it's using Genesis to advance. As it's Genesis. as its own um to to advance their style and and i you kind of get into this slippery slope where it's like is this a photocopy of a photocopy you know because at least in in the early prog rock you know you could you could argue it's a bit silly and it's 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 you know i'm not going to repeat all the criticisms of progressive rock everyone's heard them again and again and again you're either a fan or you're not that's kind of how it goes with that music yeah but um but you know, it's like, oh yeah, cool. They're they're really tapping into Genesis, but yeah, is that a photocopy of a photocopy kind of feeling? I don't know. 
like one of those images that gets like resaved over and over online and shared and then it just loses it becomes it like degrades. this degraded <laughs> pixels yeah exactly yeah, exa yeah exa exactly like is the no matter how silly prog rock was at least its agenda was pretty clear in in the influences it was trying to bring in whereas this is taking that but not what came had come before that right so it's is it is it is it losing a bit of substance in doing that and, and recalling bands from you know that time i don't know uh regardless though i think it's well implemented i like it and it's it's saying something that this is actually my favorite section of the album are these like three songs in a row prehistory uh bad habits bad habits and the future is uh, the behind, future us. behind us yeah yeah, yeah. Th th like and if you told me that by the way as as a guy who like yourself um appreciates some brutality and some dankness probably more so than um that <laughs> kind of playful type of prog rock music um if you told me that this would be like my absolute favorite section of the album prior to listening i wouldn't believe you like I would be like, that sounds horrible. Tell me there's cartoon sound effects. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm like, fuck that. This is voice of trespass all over again. Yeah. And it's not no. at all. It's not at it's, all. It's really not. And I couldn't, I couldn't tell. So prehistory is voice of trespass. It's, it's another voice of trespass. Um, just for some and, reason, and yet, it works. And yet, yeah. I don't know if it's even just the way things are structured. Like Voice of Trespass was the way it's placed on um, Automata is like it like for what I'm trying to say is prehistory even in title feels like almost a prelude to Bad Habits. Like it is its own song, but it's not trying to be monumental on its own. Voice of Trespass felt like it was trying to be a thing on its own and then you're kind of like oh, that's what that song was um prehistory i feel to me it almost could be like one track with bad habits just because of like how it i mean the whole album is like one song but those this kind of section all feels like one track especially um but i will say because jumping in one of the other highlights even for you know i know you love this section even more than me but bad habits is incredible it's another one of like the big boy kind of 10 minuters um best song in the album and and even though it's so prog it's funny how much of it also sounds like the one of the main riffs from like swim to the moon yeah swim to the moon white it has like a white wall white walls kind of like something yeah. that only that that intro and that that um that kind of build up after the or however it goes um you know, the, the, where the drums come in and, and the bass starts ramping up, like, oh man, it's just so hype. It's, it's, I think that's why I'm, I'm able to embrace it, you know, or I'm saying like, oh, you know, they're thrown in that Genesis shit. Like what's the value in just copying Genesis? Um, when I'm like, 
well, I can't fault them when, when this, when nothing else could sound like this, except between the buried and me, like, yeah, I agree. Bad habits as a thing, bad habits is kind of like the thesis statement of between the buried and me, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's, it's what you would show someone as a sort of, this is what they're all about. This is the perfect encapsulate. It, it hits all the marks. It hits all their, their strengths and none of their weaknesses. Um, it's, it's, it's a perfect uh, encapsulation of their identity in one song. Yeah, I'd also say, actually, that's a really great point about this album as a whole, uh, to keep waxing poetically about it, is just, like, this album, like, they're the only band that can make this album. Um, you know, I, I, there are other bands, so, like, that Burial in the Sky, a lot of burying kind of themes. Um, <laughs> yeah, but the Burial in the Sky one, you know, it, it comes close to hitting the same sound. It hits a lot of the same notes. They even, like, rip off Selkie's pretty good and in one of the songs and everything but right yeah like i hear this album i'm like there's nothing else there's no one else that scratches this itch for me Mm -hmm. like no no one comes close no one can do this um and that's really rare i i guess they've kind of achieved that almost like dream theater was and i guess dream theater still making music but dream theater does the same thing on more of the rock side than metal side where it's like for for the for the record sorry you bring up dream theater that new dream theater song whips I don't yeah. know if you've heard it yet. The yeah. alien? It's called the alien. <laughs> <laughs> alien warfare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's actually it's actually so good. It uh and I've never been a big Dream Theater fan. Uh try as I might, I just can't. There's a few things I just cannot get over with them. But um that song fucking is sick. Uh if because it, it kind of sounds a little BT Bammy, to be honest. Yeah, the the uh the student has become the the teacher well yeah i mean i I think they were a huge influence for bt bam but i think bt bam's been the superior kind of band for quite a while so yeah anyway sorry no i don't even know i bad habits i i think is incredible it's another amazing like there's another great like hook chorus kind of section from tommy in here i i think yeah i think like you the fact that this section I love so much again, if you had told me kind of what it is like, Oh, they do. Yeah. Kind of Genesis Prague after being like dank and brutal, the whole first half of this album. Uh, yeah. Bad, bad habits is awesome. It's definitely, it's between that and well, and the next song and never seen future shock is kind of my favorite well, on the album, but yeah, let, let me, let me, let me, um, let me look back. Cause this was my, this was my pin was the end of bad habits um like compare this to the i guess one of climaxes of ants of the sky which this directly references yes so sleep on fly on in our dreams we can't fly like at the time as a as a as a 17 year old boy (laughs) i was i was quite (laughs) with that with that uh with that part in ants of the sky yeah uh when that came out However, like just the the uh, the emo- the depth of this climax, where again he's he's singing the same lyrics, um, just how much more like sincere it is, how much more accomplished it is, how much more effective it is at being you know an emotional crescendo. It's like night and fucking day. I do, yeah, I agree. I, I think you know there are a lot of differences from this in colors, but I think we've said it a couple of times, but the biggest evolution 
ha- is is Tommy, and I think it really comes, you know, and you kind of need for for those vocals to work. You also need chord progressions and stuff that facilitate it. So overall, it is there's a bit more melancholy and like I guess melancholy and sadness always comes off as a bit more genuine um, on albums for whatever reason, but it it or yeah, feels it- more true and honest. But Tommy definitely brings that. Well, it's just territory. So like, this is my, this is the other big thing in my craw. Craw. It's like, in my craw is uh, like, I, I just keep coming back in my memory to this picture of like, I don't know. I think like they would have shared it on their MySpace in the year 2004. <laughs> yeah. And it's Tommy. And there's a bunch of like, I don't know if they're backstage at like a show that they're playing at or something. There's like a bunch of like dudes. I don't know if they're their buddies or just fellow bands or something. They're all wearing like fucking comeback kid shirts and Bane shirts. And it just felt, I just remember like that made perfect sense because at the time between the buried and me was far more of a hardcore adjacent band than they were a dream theater you know, in the sphere of dream theater kind of advancing their agenda type band. Like what made between the buried and me special was having a hardcore, you know, let's call it metalcore in the, in, in the sort of similar vein of converge, let's say that were adding in tech stuff, you know, the, the, the adding in the tech stuff, let's not even call it progressive elements, like just adding in the more technical side of things to a hardcore band was like fucking exhilarating in 2003, yeah. 2004. Obviously they've moved past that. Cause I don't even think that whole, I guess like kind of counterparts are keeping that flame alive in terms of that sort of early two thousands metalcore vibe. But um, like, a lot of the key elements of those bands was this emotional sincerity and you heard it in like Mordecai, you know, like it's just, you get shivers on the back of your neck when you listen to the end of Mordecai to this day, you know, like it, and it made perfect sense for a band that was on victory records. And yes, once upon a time being on victory records actually kind of meant something cool. Um, <laughs> you know, like it, it actually kind of did. Um, and it was just such a shame that we weren't getting like Mordecai's anymore, you know, like that kind of stuff. And I, and I said it to you, like, I felt, I felt a little shadow of it on this song on coma ecliptic called rapid calm. I felt I'm like, Oh, you know, that's, that's really tapping into that quality. But I think that the coolest part of colors too, is just, man, we're back at these, some of these Mordecai esque moments. Like we're, we're right back at that. Um, you know, like, none of this clever like vaudevillian type fucking burlesque melodies and shit that you'd start to hear on colors i'm, I'm talking about like real yeah real, yeah. Like, real heartfelt shit you know and it's all over this album yeah and i feel like this i i think tommy's coming from a place like i I got a lot of the vocals and, and lyrics, uh, you know, I haven't read all of them or deciphered all of them, but a lot of things like it feels like it's an album about, you know, like, let's be honest, they're all, you know, getting older compared to when they started as a band, obviously, you know, they were all like 18 and now they're all like 40 or whatever. And um, the, the lyrics and the vocal delivery feel, um, 
you know, like there's a lot of stuff talking about the passage of time and what, you know, what I've done with time and all that stuff. And I, I, I get that I'm, th- I'm sure some of this is through a character, but it feels so honest that I think part of this album, especially if they're thinking of it compared to even when they released colors one, which was how long ago now, 14 years. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was, was it that long, 14 years, 13 years, something like that. That's crazy. Seven, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's an element of genuine truth there about thinking of the passage of time and what their legacy is and all this stuff. And there's this honesty in the lyrics. And I think that comes through in the vocal delivery. Like I think it matches what a lot of these lyrics seem to be talking about in terms of getting older. What is my legacy? What have I done with my life? Mm -hmm. Um, Good and bad sides of that. Like I hear a lot of that in not just the lyrics themselves, but in a lot of what he's, he's kind of delivered. Um, but also, also melodically in the songwriting, there's that's what there's, I mean. Yeah, there's no cheap melodies like, it, it, yeah, you no know, bass. You know, I think I think we kind of paint Dan as maybe this element of the band that is driving them towards this kind of novelty or this kind of more kind of like cartoonish elements and stuff like that. Um, but his his root notes, his bass, um, Dan kills is, it. Yeah, Dan hitting, kills hitting it. me, and you know, I, and just a side note, I know I've said this to you, but like, it's so good to that he's back. You know, like, I'm not saying he, he's a world class musician. There's no doubt, but it felt like for the last, I don't know, couple BT bands, like you, you weren't hearing that kind of extreme level that we were used to. Like he was, he was, he was more in the pocket. It felt like, and I know he kind of took on doing the the keyboards a bit more, but. It, kind of just seemed like he was comfortable to kind of hit, hit the notes, hit the roots a bit more than doing that. But yeah, he's, he's back on this one, just tech as hell again, which is, is, is nice. I was kind of hoping he would show up, get off the decaf, you know? <laughs> um, one thing I just want to say before we move to features behind us, cause you brought up the self-titled uh, it's funny. We were talking about last year when they did all the, you know, re-releases and remasters of the old albums. That remaster of the self-titled was the best only because it was the one that reimagined an album the most. Like I think we said last year, if this album came out now, this would be my favorite album of the year. Like if this was a a new band (laughs) making this album, this shit is amazing. No one makes stuff that sounds like this. Yeah. No one makes stuff that sounds like this. Um, You know, the other remasters and stuff were good and, and some of them needed it, like you know, Alaska needed it. Although I remember Alaska, Alaska is the only lost, one I feel like it kind of lost its uh, charm. The bit. worst, the worst sounding album in their history, like in terms of audio production. And I, I was the most curious for that remaster because you know we've heard how dis- how how irate they were with the tone of that record from like an engineering, like a sound whatever tone perspective, but. Um, like damn dude like i don't know <laughs> when i heard that that remaster i was like ah oh, this doesn't sound as good to me maybe i'm just i'm just too used to it now but i'm like yeah there's a lot that i actually grew to appreciate about how they did alaska original like the keyboards i think sound better on the original i think the drums sound a lot better on the original um well alaska maybe I'm showing my <laughs> maybe i'm showing my ignorance here but um yeah i i was like i don't know but yeah all the other one all the other remasters that they did and and leading up to this um have been awesome uh, i think colors for me colors benefited the most 
um, yeah along along with the self-titled the silent circus sounds fucking weird not in a bad way but it's just weird like it sounds completely different yeah we were almost like did they re-record stuff for silent circus like it it, for real it was weird it was definitely um yeah it was an odd one um yeah super fun super fun to like revisit because for a long time i would have i think for the longest time I, i would have held fast and said silent circus is the best between the beard and the album um then it came around to that being the parallax um but yeah i'm you know i'm a i'm a big silent circus guy uh so yeah it was like super fun to i i do think i ultimately i would prefer the original to this new one just because it sounds like so different that i don't even know if i prefer it but um yeah it's it's cool it's cool to hear big silent circus guy and you're a big the future is behind us guy there you that's go. my that's my segue <laughs> you're a mass my Logan, next... your, your sequencing on this is as <laughs> almost as good as uh the album between itself. the bear and me sequencing on this record so there you go yeah um i mean this is another it's funny like this song kicks ass and it's kind of their new single this song is it's funny because this song takes kind of what's going on in the two halves up to this point and puts it in a song because it's like insanely groovy, great prog again with this guitar and bass and keys tone. That's like so chunky. And I mean, chunky in a good way. It just has this, like the groove hits so well, especially through like good headphones. Like it just has this, um, I don't know this, this tone and stuff to it that you don't really hear. And, and so, so, so rhythmic. And then where the song ends up at the end with the, like, I don't even know what to call it. Just dank hardcore breakdown. Like it's very simple. And yet, I don't know this song, this song has been the biggest grower. Um, I mean, I guess I kind of said it about revolution and limbo. So now I'm talking on and out about sides of my mouth, but future is behind us when we first listened. Cause it's a bit shorter. It didn't really stand out to me as much, but now I know that song, like that song just delivers for it's like five minutes. Well, in the, so BT Band have kind of been keeping to these patterns, I feel like, where they'll do a type of song and they'll do that again and again and again, each success, you know, each succeeding album. Um, so I feel like it kind of started with Bloom, uh, this this flavor of BT Band. Um, that could have been earlier, I don't know. Nothing comes to my mind though. I don't, I can't think of anything on Great Misdirect or Colors. It kind of sounds like this, but yeah, like Bloom, this very kind of Hanna Barbera, like cartoon, like hijinxy. Well, yeah, but stuff. Pa- I mean, parts of Fossil Genera had that, man. Like, yeah, you're right. You're I know right. it wasn't the whole song because the song's really, really long, but like parts of that song are goofy. Goofy, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And ectopic stroll on coma ecliptic definitely um, is in this lineage. And then I guess like kind of voice of trespass to a degree. Um, But this kind of follows in this line of, I'm going to like, I'm going to take a wild guess and say, this is very from the Dan side of things like this, this just kind of, because having listened to his, um, his solo stuff, which is awesome. 
Um, I know it's kind of like a little bit easy to clown on some of the like Danisms maybe, or like what I perceive to be them based on like interviews and stuff that they've talked about. I don't know, but like his solo stuff is great. Trio Scapes is great. Nova Collective is super great. I'm a bad, like, in, at the end of the day, I'm a big fan of his, his mind and what he does. And like, this is just it used for complete good on this Between the Bear and Me song. It's like, if not for the fact that Bad Habits grew on me so much, this was like my immediate, like on the first listen, I was like, this is the best song on the album. And I can't believe that I feel that way <laughs> since it's in that like bloom yeah. topic stroll style of BT Bam. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's like, it's a, it's funny that you kind of compare it to those songs because for me, it just hits so like hard the whole time. Like, I don't think of it as goofy. I can hear what you're saying. I just never, it never occurred to me that it had those goofy elements. Like, even though, you know, Parallax is kind of, you know, the album for me, Bloom is always this kind of like goofy over the top random shit happening futures behind us isn't like that to me it's very just like it's very it's very rhythmic and yet it has a lot of like key present like um synth presence and key presence and stuff it's, and it's more it's melodic eccentricity i think like it's not right like right, bowl, right what a random monkey dishwasher or whatever um kind of like bloom is or even ectopic stroll but it has like that that melodic flavor that we only usually get in like one or two at the most songs per album. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of relegate it to live in this little pen on each album. And, and this is, this album's that, and it, and it's, it's like just great. It's awesome. Uh, and just so unique. Like, again, I'm, I'm, this is another, like only BT Bam could do this and good for them. They don't, no one else sounds like that. Like this is very true to their um, their identity now. Yeah, especially when you take that as the first half, and then where it kind of ends up is at the end of the song. Um, I was I was kind of shocked and and in a in a good way of the like lack of lack of transition into the uh, breakdown. I guess is what you would call it. Um, and, and just how kind of punk and hardcore that breakdown is yeah. again, kind of like, <laughs> like borderline new metal ish. And yet somehow it's awesome. Uh, when they do it, uh, I guess the, the last kind of, you know, it goes into turbulent next, which we've kind of compared to millions off of automata. And that's not really an insult. Millions is Oh, it's a great song. Yeah. A pretty great song. Turbulent is too, and it really does feel like a natural, I guess, bookend kind of to the last. Yeah, four it's like songs. it's the the last three. Well, three at least have had this kind of kind of motif that starts. I think there's a key change, but like like they, uh, uh, what would you call it? Uh, bad habits and. Uh, Futures behind us, like they all, they all start with that motif, and Turbulent does as well. And Turbulent kind of uh, wraps it all up. It feels like it, kinda yeah, settles expands. it down almost yeah, too, yeah. right? It expands on that into its own full thing, and um, another like one I'm not in love with. I like its placement. 
I like I like that it comes after those two songs and kind of closes the book on them. Uh, on its own, it's it's fine. It, I was telling you, it sounds like a like a pretty decent Genghis Tron song. Yeah, it does actually, especially like from that new Genghis Tron album. Yeah. Um, oh, one thing I guess to mention also about the last little segment, you know, we've talked about this album. They're kind of in the pocket and stuff in terms of riffing and and groove and maybe not too much kind of crazy tech stuff. Also, want to shout out Bad Habits for having one of the like two or three guitar solos on the whole album oh yeah um, dusty's solo yeah yeah for sure very awesome cool solo song. too yeah very sick where it comes in is like perfectly unexpected in a good way and um fits kind of with what's going on perfectly i mean dusty's dusty's the goat him him and paul are just like fantastic riff writers and still waiting for a glass casket kind of album from dusty and blake but one day god please fucking do it (laughs) and i'm you know i'm not a huge faceless guy but the best thing that faceless ever did were those uh solos on that third album and he joined a glass casket like can you imagine dude like i know that guy and oh man please please just do it i know and they've they've teased a glass cask album for like 10 years i feel like it's just not gonna happen but anyways uh plus i think a lot of those like sick ass like slowed down death chorus kind of made their way into like never seen future shock and stuff but anyways conspiracy conspiracy six that the glass casket thing they were thinking of doing got absorbed into this album and that explains the kind of Mm. overwhelming dankness of this I, I like that. I like that conspiracy theory. Are these even conspiracy theories? They're just like theories that we're yeah, saying. Like, I guess that's a conspiracy, conspiracy theory at this point. BT Bamanon. Not like total tangent, but I'm playing this this classic video game from my youth called Deus Ex. Yeah. And uh, it's like at the time it was so cool because it's all about conspiracy theories and it it's about um it's about a pandemic that's happening where the government um sort of in- bioengineered it in order to sell the vaccine to people uh, so it's kind of like oh. so it's kind of like don't take the vaccine it's what oh, the shit. government wants you to do and i'm kind of like oh man i don't know if i it's <laughs> like yeah this, this is a pro thing. this is a pro vax podcast just to be yeah, clear but, probably... but that sounds awesome as a video game not gonna lie oh no dude it's a classic it, it it's 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 a legendary game it's just like it came out at the time when like conspiracy theories were cool and now conspiracy theories are just fucking lame now they're the worst people believe in conspiracy theories that's true the only conspiracy yeah. theory i still believe in is that stevie wonder is not blind but that's a whole other thing <laughs> even, never even heard that but now i'm gonna have to research that why why does he sit courtside at nba games what's the point <laughs> why why is there a bunch of videos of like people throwing things towards him and he's able to dodge them or catch them you know i'm i'm on this train of conspiracy theories that he can see very very thin evidence but it's a fun it's at least a fun one no one gets hurt you start with cv wonder and then you end up trying to find fucking hollow earth theory and shit like that from isn't that what they all believed in in the new godzilla it's like it's a hollow oh yeah basically flat but i think people actually believe that i think that's like a real thing hollow earth oh i mean that would be cool but 
That reminds anyway. me of a movie called The Core. That's a we can easily talk a whole other thing about that. Let's get we'll finish we'll finish off. We're in the last kind of main. So I mean, there's the Sfumato, stretch here. Sfumato or whatever is however it's pronounced. Um, obviously, just an interlude, little palate cleanser. Into it, the it, it has track. the. It, it has- as the it has like a synth version of the motif that yeah will dominate the final track yeah nice nice song. little solo it's Fucking no badass. it's no yeah it's no song desert title. it's no desert of song so that's good um one of the biggest ways oh, i i like desert of song so why what's your beef with desert of song oh i don't know it's just, it's, just than, it's so corny the, <laughs> i mean it's I mainly know, I, it's I, mainly I, that I, <laughs> <laughs> it's mainly i got a soft spot for it I got a soft spot for Desert Song. I think I actually think it's very, I feel like there's a lot of sincerity to that song. <laughs> I, I like that. I could the appreciate it. was amazing. I, I love that. All right. Well, this album could be even better, BT Bam, apparently, if uh, Desert <laughs> of Song Desert was of the <laughs> Desert of Song to Sfumato. Um, imagine the the new album the album they make in like 10 years from now it isn't it isn't great misdirect too it's just desert of song two and it's oh a whole god. album of desert no. of songs oh my god you'd be so happy I would, I would i would if they had some mirrors and some deserts of songs <laughs> and just did their like their chill like kind of i don't know what you call it adult contemporary style shit i'd, I'd fucking eat that dude paul if you ever listen to this just make a solo album, dude. I love, I would love a solo album. Hey, there's another way back kind of reference. Do you remember there was that uh, like Easter egg MP3 that went out called, it was like just floating around called Paul. Yeah, MP3. And it was from some like weird like guitar compilation. Yeah, and like Townsend and shit was on it too. And his riffing on that was insane. Oh, I dude! Need, it, it, I need to it's, find. It's like that. a better answer to the sky. Yeah, I need to find that actually. Yeah, Paul. Okay, so uh, well, here's a bit of trivia though, dude. After Coma Ecliptic came out, I'm pretty sure they released that as a proper BT Bam song with Tommy on vocals. Oh, I think you're right. I think you're right. Which I mean, you know, Tommy's kick ass. We all know that. I I think I think it works a bit better as it was originally. Intended, yeah, which was this guitar showcase. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, we'll we'll have to dig that up again. Um, dude, I take a fucking. If you gave me an album of like instrumental Paul shit, like of just that P A W L song, um, I think it, I think it ended up being called Boot Dagger Boogie. <laughs> i think you're right <laughs> if you give me a whole album of Boot Dagger Boogies and like the adult contemporary shit with like the like man his solos get dusty to do some shit on it like fuck i'm that actually looking up boot dagger right? that's what it's called it's called boot dagger boogie i'm not i'm not you know like i'm glad that they did an official bt band version of it or whatever but fuck it's it's always going to be boot dagger, <laughs> boot dagger right. boogie to me yeah what a track Imagine a song being called Boot Dagger Boogie and it's starting out like, <laughs> like 
fuck. Yeah, what it's a legendary. It's a on legend. a it's on a compilation called Guitars That Ate My Brain. I listen I remember listening to the whole thing and that being like I think the only song I quite liked. The yeah, Devin Townsend's right. one was 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 cool, but I just remember it being like like very over the top. I think he like just is just straight sweeping. And the Devin Townsend one is just like like for eight minutes. That's that's all I remember. <laughs> um, man, I'm gonna listen. Maybe we can put Bootleg or Boogie in this pod right right now. We're not doing the new awesome. one. We're doing we're doing Bootleg or we're taking it back. To, I just want to stress when we found this song, it was called literally P A W L. That was the fucking name of the song. Yeah, <laughs> like that's how it was labeled. Paul. We have no idea where it came from or how it leaked, but it it was just called Paul. Yeah. And uh, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, okay. The final, we're in the, the home final stretch, track. the final track. Uh, Human is Hell. Great title. Um, it's It was interesting. It's not, it's like kind of structured the way, like BTBM has a style of their like finale tracks for the most part, you know, Swim to the Moon, White Walls are very similar in structure and build and breakdown, which I don't know. It was kind of fun that there's this consistent element to them. This song kept feeling like it was going to do that and didn't. And I'm, after listening to it a bunch of times, I'm like happy that it's kind of its own thing. Uh, but it has that epic scope. I mean, it's 15 minutes. It's got tons of like the tech stuff up front in terms mm-hmm. of those kind of riffs. And like they like to do in these big songs, throwing a bunch of, crazy riffs like one after the other with like no regard for songwriting and i and again i mean that in like an affectionate way it's kind of like here's some sick ass stuff we wrote here's some more sick ass stuff here's some sick ass stuff that references something we did earlier on in the album here's some other sick ass stuff and then i mean the one thing i loved about this is as part of the kind of big triumphant breakdown near the end the bringing back the prequel to the sequel breakdown was just like oh, a chef's oh, kiss yeah. chef's kiss of a moment that was that was the like the the bait and switch because they've done the the autodidact breakdown like fucking three times on three different songs and that's not necessarily a complaint because that breakdown owns in fact i would argue there's a case to be made that that's like in terms of like a breakdown what we understand to be a breakdown like a, like a single note palm muted chug type thing on top of a groove. Like you could argue autodidact is the most iconic. Um, like it's just, it's just a legendary, like it's just, I still remember it like flawlessly, like, and they, they kept doing that. Um, so you, you think they're going to do it again because it's in white walls, the first one. Um, it's in swim to the moon, but it's in swim to the moon it's like slightly different swim to the moon but basically that and you think like yeah yeah they're gonna do it and i think we read in a review that like oh yeah they do it again well the review was saying how the heaviest breakdown of the album shows up in this song and there is actually a really heavy breakdown early on like a couple minutes in and it's actually it's a really it's a really sick breakdown but i thought what was interesting like it is heavy but it we were thinking out of all the heavy stuff we were hearing 
earlier on in the album and we're like and still there's a heavier thing to come and mm-hmm. i don't think it really reaches that level but that's not really anything to do with like the band's fault that's kind of the review we read's fault kind of misleading us as yeah. to what that was going to be and there's a there's like a bt oh oh and they also do it in blot i forgot there's a blot version of of that too um but they BT Bam does like a fetish. They have a fetish of like building up to it. Like you know when it's coming. I, I it's, love that. I, I, love, that I love I love it too. It's very delicious. And I think that you know there was none of that in this. There was none of that. Like oh, you know a breakdown's coming. Um, well, then, but that was the thing. Is there? There's like not in the same way. But there is that section, like like they like to do about like ten minutes in, eleven minutes in, where. Uh, maybe it's not that late. Maybe it's a bit earlier. Where they kind of all the heaviness kind of stops, and they start with kind of like a drum groove and bass line and some light guitar. That's a thing they do like to do. Now it's not in that way that they do the like almost rhythmic chanting style thing that they like they've done in uh, White Walls and Swim to the Moon. Yeah. Um, you know, open up the closed off circle or whatever, and it's like this kind of like bump, bump, bump. Um, and there's kind of like low it kind of starts low and builds it's not like that but they do have this there was enough of it that i thought it might be coming again mm-hmm. yeah no I, I i agree i agree and and i i like i like the bait and switch of having the prequel to the sequel breakdown because oh. i'm like over oh. here i'm like normalize prequel to the sequels breakdown being the best breakdown on that album oh <laughs> like i it's know so good gets suppressed but like that one like that that's still like for an album that we kind of you know I, I talk a bit of shit about like fucking that breakdown and prequel to sequel fucking whips um so i and the key change they, the key the chord change in the second half of it oh oh it just felt like down oh, oh yeah. so good it's so like, good re- real bt bams know that um that's the that's the elite breakdown and i like that they they kind of were like that's what we're putting at the end of the of this song i was like yep yep makes sense yeah it's a yeah i like putting it on that pedestal and you know it's kind of part of there's like a section of kind of you know they only play that breakdown briefly and then they go into some other kind of cool heavy stuff at the end but i think as i can you know i this track maybe doesn't have the i don't know what to call it like the giant kind of crescendo of some other ending tracks previous but i think the quality of it of this as an end, ending track is it's one of their best ones like it's conservative I, I think it's the most conservative like of their epic closers for sure yeah but I, I, I mean, I guess that's kind of part of what we've talked about at the, as the album, right? Like we kind of set it up front. Maybe we didn't say conservative, but it doesn't have their, the album as a whole isn't yeah. over the top techie BT bam. Super flashy. Like, yeah, it, it, it's, it's ambitious in scope, but it's, um, it's, you know, it is, it, it has catharsis. I think like that, that main riff is good. It's a really good, well, and the main melody and kind of uh, really strong. motif is fantastic. There's stuff they do like in each song. So I think like, okay, if you look at them individually, like White Walls um, really excels at, at being really complex and complicated and, and also having like really elaborate buildups and crescendos, like you said, Swim to the Moon, I think doesn't have the crescendo, 
but definitely delivers on the like complete complexity elaboration type stuff. Sw- Swim to the Moon, I will say, is there the song that always makes me laugh the most only because it's it's batshit. Like the first few minutes of that song are like batshit insane. They start and stop like five different main ideas that are all crazy. And then they do a bunch of riffs all in a row. Like I've kind of mentioned before, like tons of riffs that are like, yo, we have this sick ass riff. We're throwing it at you. Okay. We're stopping that. We're doing this now. Okay. We're doing this now. It has the most stuff in some mm-hmm. of the which makes me really appreciate how ridiculous it is, which is good. Cause that song's like 17 minutes long. Well, let's just like, I, I value what Swim to the Moon is um, because like with the exception of like the only other thing I can kind of think of is um, uh, the Gorgats um, Pleiades Dust, which is right. a, 30 mi- a 30 minute song, uh, you know, and Gorgats just by virtue of the fact that they're Gorgats and their personnel like is extremely technical. So it's like kind of like what would a extremely technical 30 minute song sound like? But that has a lot of ebbs and flows and you could actually argue that well that's just five songs um kind of put together but like swim to the moon is is kind of like i wonder what like basically a psyopacy kind of type techie song would be if it were 20 minutes you know like yeah it exists because it's like a rule 34 like we imagined it and there it is so i kind of like Maybe it, it is very over the top, but I kind of like like that it exists. Oh, I love it. I'm not. I wasn't complaining about Swim to the Moon. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's awesome. Um, but yeah, compared that to, I guess, Human as Hell. I think Human as Hell has kind of the more sticky, kind of again these kind of riffs and ideas where they're in the pocket and they just like, you're kind of like, yeah, this is, this is dank. Like, yeah. If if there's if there's one thing, so there's something that I like about Silent Flight Parliament, which is like the, it's not officially the last track, but it is basically the big closer, the big finale to Parallax 2, is there's this feeling, like they reprise all these little moments from across the album. And it gives this feeling of like, oh, it was all, you know, A, it was all leading to this. B, um, this is the plan coming together. Cause this is what all those riffs were for was to, culminate this way this is where they fit in the design right that was extremely cathartic even if it lacked a big kind of emotionally satisfying crescendo the way that i don't know white walls kind of did i mean now 14 years later i think the the solo and and all that is is a little bit like there's a bit of cheese factor that i feel now whereas when i was 16 17 i was like this is the fucking pinnacle of music now I'm kind of like, yeah, that's sweepy solo. That's a little bit, that's a little much, but, um, but yeah, I would have liked a bit of that silent flight parliament isness to it where like you have this huge 80 minute record and there's all these elements, like, wouldn't it be cool to kind of like see how they all fit into this big plan? Um, but you know what, like maybe it's for the best, you know, that, that really worked for silent flight. And I think this, you know, having said that, I think that uh, Human as Hell is, is is a really ideal closer for this record. And that's a very ideal closer for us talking about most of the album, I think. 
I'm shocked it only took us this amount of time. I thought this would go on for like a long time. I mean, we've been talking for a while. Uh, we talked about fucking, we talked about fucking like conspiracy. We talked about the core for like 10 minutes. <laughs> so just take, just <laughs> track that from the final time. Um, but yeah, I think kind of, I, I think still as we kind of let into all of this, as we, you know, I think as we get track by track, maybe we're a little bit more calling out certain things, but overall to even be, for the album to be what it is, I'm still super happy about. Um, it's it's kind of reserved in ways I didn't expect. It's it's not reserved in ways I didn't expect. I didn't expect as much early BT Bam kind of riffing influence. And that's not to say it sounds like stuff that stripped down from like the self title, but just an approach. But you know, overall, this album it could end up being, you know, when time as time passes their best record. I mean, I'm just happy that it's even, that's the conversation we're have, having really. I, I, I didn't expect that really from, from this album. It feels good. Of, yeah. It feels really good. It feels good. It feels really good. I think especially cause it was named colors too. And you know, in 2021, you and I aren't so crazy about that album. So we didn't really know what to expect, but I think, one thing you pointed out is maybe the the title colors isn't so much a, about a thematic thing as much as it is. It's more a representation of kind of scope and stuff they're trying to achieve and maybe a benchmark to set. So it'll be interesting. I this think type, this type of record. Yeah. Yeah. This type of record. I think it's also an album that'll be really fun to see live. Although I remember us seeing parallax Two live. And I think that was one of the most like incredible performances. Cause that album's, difficult um but yeah. i think this album would be really fun to see live because i think we and you've you've mentioned this is like it feels like an album prepared to be played kind of live not that it isn't difficult to play or anything but there aren't these crazy sweeps and tech things that'll like well except for blake i feel like blake would get will be exhausted after performing yeah i feel like live, kinda... but wrote himself into a corner there <laughs> yeah but good shit every night yeah but guitar wise i think they can have still be playing with some really like sick new material while enjoying it and it not being maybe so stressful to try and pull well, just, off every night i just think of like the absurdity of like a song like famine wolf which is a song i really like because uh, again i'm a coma ecliptic apologist and <laughs> So on, you know, as you're listening to it, it's really cool. You know, there's, there's like really riffy parts, there's heavy parts, then you get like a, like an Alan Holdsworth part, which is cool. And then it goes into this very like arpeggiated kind of like classic BT BAM approach to melody kind of stuff. And as you're listening to it, you're like, yeah, this is, this is a pretty, you know, notable BT BAM song sounds like them it's hitting all the marks but when you think about that in a live context like just imagine playing shit where you're like just thrashing and playing like dank riffs and then you gotta hunker down and like fucking look at your fretboard and and whip out all these like very intricate sort of you know counterpointy harmonies with each other and I was like it just doesn't make any fucking sense like when you think of it in a live and playing it you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, their stuff's always kind of impressed me that they were able to ever like 
ever able to do any of it live. I mean, we've seen them do colors live. We've seen them do future sequence, like parallax Two future sequence live. Yeah. Uh, but but I, this, just, this I, feels, I yeah, this feels like they could. My point is I can see these it. songs being played start to finish and it, and the, the act of playing them start to finish feels like natural. Like it doesn't feel like, Oh fuck, I got to shift into this mode. Yeah. Of like yeah. being extremely intricate right after I was doing crazy um, slammy type stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like they can actually enjoy it, which is sweet. Cause it's, it's also enjoyable to listen to. So yeah. I think, uh, yeah, again, just wanted to say like, really happy that the conversation we get to have about it is not one of uh, us kind of ripping on anything. Like, sure. There are things that, you know, it's not like a hundred percent perfect, but it's pretty damn awesome. And a really dense and fun listening experience. So yeah. Proud to say they're still like one of the favorite bands for us. Like it's, I just really like that. That means that means something to me. Like I know it sounds corny, but you know, for, for given that we were in our like high school um, years <laughs> yeah. when we like got onto this shit and now we're men in our fucking thirties um, yeah. for it to still kind of just to get stoked about this in the same way, I think is, is, is the nicest thing of all, to be honest. So. Yeah. Agreed. And now we're doing a podcast about it. So look at look, us. Look at look how look at what we've done with our lives, Logan. Yeah. <laughs> well, until the next episode in probably another three months. Uh, thanks for listening. Take it easy.